I wish I had eaten more chocolate. There's a really powerful message in that video, and it, it really goes along with our sermon today as we think about the importance and the significance of the kingdom of heaven. And how God gives us an opportunity to live our lives in a way that is so incredibly significant. Not only for today, but also for tomorrow. And before we begin, there's two things I want to I point out. One of which is, we don't normally have bulletin inserts outside of sermon notes, but today we have one that just looks for you to, if you're interested in just listing some strengths and weaknesses that you think about when you think of our church, um, we're going to use this during our leadership retreat next weekend, and so we would really love to have your opinions. It could be something that, you know, just comes to the top of your head. It's like, oh yeah, this is something I really like, or this is something I really think we should improve in. We would just love to have your input. You can put your name on there if you want, if you, especially if you want any sort of feedback on that. But if not, just put it on the, um, in one of the black boxes back there, the back, and, or you can stick it in my mailbox, and uh, we'll use those in our retreat next week. And then something that um, I was just thinking about doing this morning on my way in, um, many of you may not know, but um, the Church of the Brethren, it's in Nigeria, is suffering incredible amounts of persecution from the Boko Haram group. And just yesterday, there were a number of churches burned, a number of houses burned, and a hospital that was burned. And so I thought, we could, if we just take 30 seconds and um, just go to the Lord in prayer and just silently pray, and I don't even know what to tell you to pray for, right? Pray for God's activity there. Um, obviously, pray for the restoration of those homes and the church buildings and the hospital. Pray for God's movement there in Nigeria. But it's a really difficult place to be a Christian, and for whatever reason, the Church of the Brethren seems to be particularly targeted by this group there. So could we just take 30 seconds and just kind of pray and ask for God to do something there? Thank you for joining me in, uh, in that. If uh, this is your first week with us, we are glad that you're here, and you have come in the middle of a sermon series in the Gospel book of Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first of the four Gospels. And what we have been asking you to do, inviting you to do, is to read two chapters a week along with us, and then the sermon that Sunday comes out of one of those particular chapters for the week. And so this week's chapters were Matthew 13 and 14. And Matthew chapter 13 contains seven of the parables of Jesus. Really an unusual collection uh, as far as the quantity of them in a particular chapter. And so we have several different parables. We have um, the seed and the sower, which is one that many of, our f many of you might be familiar with. Jesus actually gives us an explanation of that. Then we have the parable of the wheat and the tares, which is another one that Jesus gives us an explanation of. And then some that may not quite be as familiar, the pearl of great price, which Tracy talked about the uh, hidden treasure, the parable where the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, um, the mustard seed, leaven, and then that very familiar one that most of us know about, the peril of dragnet. Um, so uh, 
you know, you guys are too young, I think, to get this. That was supposed to be funny. So, um, so, so we'll, let's try this again. So then also in, um, in, uh, in the end of Matthew chapter 13, we have this parable about the dragnet. Wow. Even when I reset it, I didn't get any love. You know, I mean, I had to actually beg for it, and I still didn't get it. All right, that's okay. That's all right. Um, so, so the parable of the, of the dragnet. So all in these, these seven parables, there are, there are really some significant teaching that we can get garner out of the, uh, the things that, that God tells us in these particular parables. And Jesus told parables to help illustrate kingdom truth in an earthly way, in a story or a situation that his audience would understand, trying to get them to look beyond the immediate understanding of that story, but looking out into spiritual things from, uh, from there. And so what I want to do today in Matthew chapter 13 is look at these parables. Now, Matthew 14 is a great chapter, too. Uh, last Sunday, Pastor Kay talked about the John the Baptist and the great sermon on the idea of, are you the one? Like, are, Jesus, are you really the one that we're looking for? And because John was in prison for um, speaking against uh, the king. And in Matthew 14, John actually is beheaded. So we have John's death in Matthew chapter 14. We have Jesus feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. We have Jesus walking on water, Peter getting out of the boat and then singing. There's great stuff in Matthew 14. But I've chosen to look at Matthew 13 today, and not in a particular one of the parables, but the overall idea. So if you sat down today, and you read Matthew chapter 13, and you ask God, what is, what is it about these parables? What are some of the overall meanings here for these parables? I think that at least two words would come to mind. At least these are the two words that came to mind when I, talked, when I thought about them. Matthew 13 contains seven parables that discuss the separation and the significance of the kingdom of heaven. The separation and the significance of the kingdom of heaven heaven. And if I could just take a few moments to ask you to think about those words, I believe that you and I would come to the conclusion that much of the teaching of Jesus is concerned with separation and significance. Much of the teaching of Jesus, if you go through his parables, you go through his teaching, you will see that much of what he talks about is separation, which might be surprising to some of you, and significance. So let's just take a couple of quick examples. So we go back to the, um, the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. We looked at those a few weeks ago. Jesus says, and I'm just summarizing some of these things, he says, don't pray, fast, give, lust, judge like these people. In other words, you should be different. Don't pray like these people do. Don't give like these people do. Don't judge like these people do. He's not saying not to pray or not to give or not to judge, but just separate, be different from, from them. Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, who, you who practice lawlessness. Well, that's separation, right? I don't know you, so you have to be separated from me. In Matthew 7, Jesus says those who build on the sand versus those who build on the rock. There's a separation. Those who are foolish ones who build on the sand and the wise ones build on the rock. So there is a separation there. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 34, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. So there is this concept of separation. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he talks about following Jesus, there is an element, a clear and consistent element of separation. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. But there's also significance. In the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's significant. To be poor in spirit, to have the kingdom of heaven is significant. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. It's significant to be a peacemaker in the world in which we live. So when you and I, if we want to live in this realm of the kingdom of heaven, there will be separation, but there will also be great significance. And as we look at these parables, I think it's important 
to think about that. All right, but before we get into them, um, wait a minute. Did I skip a slide? No, I didn't skip a slide. Okay. Um, and they, he's, I got them out of order. And the, the parables, let's just briefly go over them. So the first three parables speak primarily to separation, or these three, these are not the first three. Uh, seed and the sower. Many of you know the seed and the sower. Jesus gives us the interpretation. He says, hey, the seed is the word of God. And so the word of God is sown or spread out into these different soils. And one of the soils bears fruit, and the other three produce no fruit. So there's separation there. There's a little bit of significance there too, but there's separation there. So not every soil produces the fruit. Then the wheat and the tares. Um, Jesus interprets that for us, and he says that, that the Son of Man sows the, the wheat, and then Satan comes and sows the weeds, or the tares. And at the harvest, at the end of the age, the, the harvester, God, will gather those up, and the wheat will go into the barn, and the weeds go where? Into the fire. So there's a separation. Dragnet. Throw the dragnet out, you pull it in, and you pick out the good things, and you throw away the bad things. So there are this idea of separation in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, and he goes on to tell these parables. And then there's also significance in there. So the mustard seed, he says, hey, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which is tiny, it's small, it's very, very little, but it grows into something almost the size of a tree. There, The birds can even nest in its branches, so it has great significance. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Just this little tiny bit of leaven can, can influence the whole entire lump, right, of the, of the dough. So it's significant. Just a little bit of leaven, significant impact that it has on the dough. The kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure, right? It's like this valuable treasure that this man goes and finds in the field and sells everything that he has in order to buy that field, which contains the treasure. And it's also like a pearl of great price, that there's something so valuable that this man was willing to sell everything that he had in order that he could obtain that pearl. Now, in the context of Matthew 13, or Matthew 13 is in the context of something that I think is kind of important for us to think about. If you go back to Matthew 12, you will see that the parables in Matthew are sandwiched between the instances of opposition and rejection. So Jesus is beginning to feel more and more opposition because of his ministry. And in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is accused of doing miracles by the power of Satan. Now, you couldn't refute the fact that Jesus was doing the miracles. That was irrefutable. But the religious leaders were certainly not willing to attribute Jesus's power to do these miracles to God, so they attributed them instead to, to Satan. And then at the end of these parables, where Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven is like this stuff, we read in Matthew 13, verse 57, they were offended at him, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. So he is rejected there in his own space, in his own, um, in his own place, which I think leads toward this idea of, of separation. So all the time we see the teaching of Jesus, we see people who believe it and follow it, we see people who don't. The kingdom of heaven is a, is a realm and existence for those who are in it, but then there are also those who are outside of it, all right? So let's talk about that a little bit, the idea of separation a little bit. The teaching of Jesus often points out the inevitability of separation. I believe, again, I don't know that people think about this much. I do, but I, I think you should, that most of the teaching of Jesus has this element into it. He calls people to follow him. There are those who follow him, and then there are those who will not follow him. Well, what does that cause? Separation, right? There are those who are in Christ, and then there are those who are not in Christ. 
Right? It's just all throughout the, the, the Gospels, we see this again and again. Even in John chapter 17, which is the great prayer of Jesus for unity, right? The great prayer where Jesus says, hey, I want us to be, I want us to be one. But even in that prayer, you're filling in the notes, Jesus' call for unity clearly reveals an underlying separation. Jesus says this in verse 9 of John chapter 17. I pray for them, and the them there in the context is those who believe in Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says. I do not pray for the world. That's what he says. He says, I pray for them, those who believe in me, and I believe in that prayer, it's encompassing you and me today, who are followers of Jesus. I do not pray for the world but for those you have given to me. Isn't that interesting? Jesus himself doesn't expect that everyone will follow him. Jesus himself certainly didn't experience that during his time on earth. And he doesn't expect that everybody will be a part of the kingdom of heaven. There is an inevitable separation between those who are in the kingdom and those who are not in the kingdom. The writers of the New Testament drew a clear distinction between those who knew Jesus and those who did not. So Peter, James, and John, those who were closest to Jesus, who heard his teaching, who were closest to the time when it was revealed, when they wrote their own letters, and when Paul, who wasn't exactly a disciple of Jesus, but came a convert later, when they wrote their letters to the churches, they wrote in ways that clearly indicated that there would be some who knew Jesus, and believed in him and followed him, and there would be others who did not. Jesus never said, why can't we all just get along? That was never the point. Jesus invites everybody into the kingdom of heaven, but his parables, when he says the kingdom of heaven is like this, indicate that he recognized that there would be some who would be outside the kingdom of heaven. Now, the invitation is for all to come into the kingdom of heaven. But let's not try to pretend that all are in the kingdom of heaven. That's not consistent with the way that the scripture reveals the kingdom of heaven to us. Nor is it consistent in Jesus' parables. And just one example here from 1 John. We read, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Pretty clear. Separation. If you have the Son, if you've received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you have life. You have abundant life here, and you have the promise of eternal life. But if you do not have Jesus Christ as Savior, you do not have life. You don't have the life that God desires for you here, and you don't have eternal life. There is an inevitability of separation, and when you read through these parables, I think it's clear over and over and over again. So, as I leave this thought, I ask this. Jesus offers salvation to remove the separation. See, we ought not to run away from this, people. Don't, don't run away from this. The, the Bible is so clear. That our sin separates us from God. We're not all born children of God. It never says that in the scriptures. We're actually born separated from him. And we need to receive him as savior in order to enter into the kingdom. 
And it doesn't come by being a good person. And it doesn't come by being a not very bad person. It doesn't come by giving a bunch of money. It doesn't come by, it comes through receiving Jesus Christ as Savior. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe on his name. So if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus as your Savior, or maybe that's just a question you've never really even given much thinking to, would you please consider it? Maybe ask somebody, ask us. Maybe in that comment card, even, you could rip that comment card and say, hey, hey, I'd like to talk to somebody about what it means to receive Jesus as Savior. Because without him, you're not in the kingdom of heaven. And that's a place you want to be. Because of the rest of the parables. The kingdom of heaven is so incredibly significant. The kingdom of heaven is so incredibly significant. Have any of you ever considered the call that Jesus makes on the lives of his followers? What is the overall tenor of the claim that Jesus makes on your life if you claim to be a follower of Jesus? Does Jesus say, I call you to a part-time commitment to me? Are there any scriptures that say that? I call you to a three-quarters time. Like, I'm, I want you to follow me during the weekends. The week's good for you. You got what you do, what you want. I don't care. Is that what Jesus says? No. Jesus doesn't say that, does he? Jesus calls for unconditional, all-the-time allegiance. Think about that for a minute. Is there anybody else in your life that calls you to unconditional, total surrender? In fact, if you know a person who tries to call you to unconditional, total surrender, run away. Right? Run away. Now, I understand. We have marriage vows. We have, you have job. But nobody is, call, nobody is saying to you, or if they are, run away. I need you to follow me 100% of the time. If you ever hear me stand up here, or Pastor Kay or Pastor Dita, and say, I want you to follow me 100% of the time. You have my permission to walk right out that door. Because that's scary. Because I have nothing to offer you in that way. But why does Jesus do that? Why does Jesus offer, or really command, unconditional, total allegiance from those who follow him? Jesus calls his followers to unconditional allegiance because of the significance of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great price because it is. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure of unlimited and unknown value because it is. And Jesus calls you and I to become a part of the kingdom of heaven and to live in the kingdom of heaven because there is no greater significance that you or I can find in anything else than in doing those things. That's why the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. That's why the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. That's why it is like a pearl of great price. But most things in our world push away from that. We live our lives like our job is more important than the kingdom of heaven. We live our lives like our money is more important than the kingdom of heaven. Some people live their lives like sports is more important than the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says no. 
And these parables remind us of the significance of the kingdom of heaven. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus goes to a rich young ruler. And Jesus says to him, sell all that you have and come follow me. Who does that? There's nobody in your life that's going to do that. Again, if you do, hang up. Sell all that you have and come follow me. I mean, Jesus is either really a good con artist, a deluded con artist, or he actually has something to offer you that would be worth selling everything you have to come follow him. And door number three is truth. He does. The kingdom of heaven is worth everything that you and I have to follow him. The rich young ruler says no. And so Jesus says to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. How significant, how significant is the kingdom of heaven to you today? It's costly. We experience salvation because of the price that Jesus paid on the cross for us. We do not have to pay or work to bridge the separation. But when we are in the kingdom and living in the kingdom will be costly. You don't inherit significance. Significance is costly. Are you willing to pay the price? Am I willing to pay the price? question I'd like to ask us is this. Are Jesus, the church, and your role in the kingdom the most significant portions of your life? Come on, just, just sit with that for a few seconds. Are, is Jesus, is the church, is your role in the kingdom the most significant portions of your life? Do they get the first things? Okay, it isn't, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not asking you to all move to Africa. I'm not asking you to quit your job and start knocking on doors and inviting people to receive Jesus. I I mean, if that's what God calls you to do, go do it. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about as in your job, in your school, in wherever you are, is your understanding of how you are living in the kingdom of heaven significantly more important than anything else. And even those things that we spend way more time on in our lives, like work or family or whatever it might be, are we still seeing those things in the context of the kingdom of heaven? Or... Are we looking at the kingdom of heaven as something over here that I get to when I feel like it or when I see a benefit in it? I'm reading a book called The Signature of Jesus by Brendan Manning. And I was reading that book yesterday morning, and I just, I just needed to, to read this, this quote from him. He says, There are certain questions that every Christian must answer in utter candor. Do you hunger for Jesus Christ? Do you yearn to spend time alone with him in prayer? That's an easy one, right? Because (laughs) if you don't spend time alone with him in prayer, then you obviously don't yearn to spend time alone with him in prayer. And yet that seems to be indicative of someone who's in the kingdom of heaven would want to do that. Is he the most important person in your life? Does he fill your soul like a song of joy? Is he on your lips as a shout of praise? 
Do you eagerly turn to his memoirs, his testament, to learn more of him? Are you making the effort to die daily to anything and everything that inhibits, threatens, or diminishes your friendship? To discern where you really are with the Lord, recall what saddened you in the past week. Was it the realization that you don't love Jesus enough? That you neglected opportunities to show compassion for another? Or did you get depressed over lack of recognition, criticism from an authority figure, finances, lack of friends, fears about the future? Isn't that an interesting way of evaluating it? What are you sad about last week? What brought you to tears? Conversely, what gladdened you the past week? The joy of slowly praying, Abba, Father? The afternoon you stole away for an hour with the scriptures as your only companion? A small victory over selfishness? Or were the sources of your joy a new car, a new suit, a movie, and a pizza, a trip to Paris or Peoria? Are you worshiping idols? Now, my next slide is very important. I'm not asking you to follow Jesus out of guilt. I think the church has done a pretty bad job of this over the decades and centuries. And that is not what I'm talking about. Jesus never asked people to follow him out of guilt. Jesus asked people to follow him because it was best for them. Absolutely. What's behind door number three for him is the best thing for you. I know it may not look that way. At times, it certainly doesn't appear that way. But it is. So don't, don't follow him out of guilt. Don't, don't follow him because, because you just solely, you just, you resent it. But you do it anyway because you know you're going to disappoint. Don't do that. Instead, and if that's sort of where you're at, and I think there are many people in our churches today that are kind of like that. Ugh, had to read that daily bread today. <sighs> so glad I finally finished reading the Bible in a year. Never have to do that again. Well, don't do that. No. Instead, ask God to help you to see the significance of it. kingdom of heaven is this kingdom of separation it's not everybody's in and and if you're not in i invite you to come to christ get in get in and then let everything else in your life flow out of your desire to please your savior and to serve him and let everything else flow out of his unbelievable opportunity to live a life that counts not only for today, but also for tomorrow. And, and one more thought. If, if you think that there's something that we could add to the ministry here to help you in significance, ask us. Most of the great ideas and ministries that have happened at Buffalo Valley Church of Brethren have not happened with the staff. Rather, they come out of you. Significance. I think we all want to be significant. Not in a bad way, 
in a way that makes a difference. And the only way to do that, God's way, is through the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I, as I'm talking, and I feel like I'm saying words that are going to be interpreted as doing this out of guilt. And I just, I just pray that, that your Holy Spirit helps us to see, and certainly helps me to see that that's not, that's not how you want us to function. Rather, what you want us to do is to willingly agree with you, spending time with you is really the best thing for us. That serving you is really the best thing for us. It is the pearl of great price. It is the treasure hidden in the field. And I just pray that you help us overcome whatever obstacles or barriers that inevitably seem to creep up. Some of it's just simply lack of faith. We just don't believe your promises. Help us to believe. And we don't see the results. Help us to trust the results to you. Father, I pray that we would, we would desire that everything we do is for the kingdom. That you would flow through us in that way, that your spirit would enable us, that you would change our hearts. So that today, perhaps some decide, you know what, yeah, there are some changes that I need to make. Because I want to experience what God has for me. And I know that's not happening right now. And Father, I pray that if we can help in any way, those folks will reach out to us. But may we see the significance of following you. In Jesus' name.